The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. If someone in your community proposes a new real estate development, or a new gambling casino, or even a new fence, it usually arouses some local controversy. When someone proposes to do the same thing anywhere near Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, it's a national issue. Gettysburg is ground zero of America's Civil War tourism. Some three million people visit the area each year, and the main thing they come to see is the Gettysburg National Military Park. Who's responsible for keeping it up? Building fences or removing them and fending off neighboring casinos. The man with that job today is James Robert Kirby, superintendent of the Gettysburg National Military Park. We'll talk with Bob Kirby today about the past, present, and future of America's greatest battlefield park, on Civil War Talk Radio. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Hey, did you know Voice America has partnered with the Kidstar Network to expand their reach through Voice America Kids? Voice America Kids will feature talk radio for kids, by kids, along with special event programming and live broadcasts. Each program is conveniently archived for on-demand listening at any time. Please check our archives for the latest events and happenings on voiceamericakids.com. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University. It's a rainy Friday afternoon in November of 2011. Uh, speaking always as I do here for myself, not for UNC or ECU or anything else I'm affiliated with, and I know our guest will not speak for the United States government or any other organization, just for himself. That's how we do it here. It's uh, Apparently the introduction a few moments ago came through not quite as clear as it ought to sound. Last week we experimented, or actually two weeks ago, the last live show experimented using Skype for the audio transmission, and it was successful. A lot of people emailed in to say it, it sounded better than uh, than it had before. But this afternoon, Skype is not 
sounding as good as we thought, so we've gone back to the phone. We'll try to figure out what went wrong. Uh, no new technology goes uh, un, unburdened with, with troubles like this, but we'll get it straightened out. And eventually, there will be some glorious future day when all people uh, of all nations use nothing but Skype for their communication, whether in person or by uh, remote distance, and then everything will sound clear. But we're not there yet. Um, some technology that does work is the, the Internet and the website impedimentsofwar.org, a reminder that to find out what's happening on Civil War Talk Radio or what has happened and download the recent shows, you can go to impedimentsofwar, all one big word, .org. Uh, Mark Gaffney is the webmaster there, and he keeps things up to date, lets you know who's going to be on the show, who's been on the show. Provides also a handy uh, PayPal button if you want to contribute uh, toward the expenses of that website and uh, book purchases for the show. You can uh, contribute $20 uh, more if you want, certainly is welcome. And if you send $20 our way, I will send you back a copy of Did Lincoln Own Slaves? and other frequently asked questions about Abraham Lincoln or all for the regiment, if you want to learn about the Army of the Ohio in 1861-62, and uh, can inscribe those for your Christmas gift-giving pleasure. While you're spending money, two other things to be on the lookout for. Uh, in the magazine world, there's a new Civil War magazine. It's called Civil War Monitor. Terry Johnston, formerly uh, an editor at North and South Magazine, which everyone listening to the show is familiar with, I'm guessing. Uh, if you uh, if you like North and South, Civil War Monitor promises to be uh, of, of similar high quality, and that's I think the first issue was just out. It looks quite interesting and uh, worth your time to take a look at. Uh, if you're a, if you're not yet a subscriber to North and South, uh, this is not a paid commercial announcement, but just a, a plug for a deal so unreasonable. I thought you should hear about it. They are now offering subscriptions for nine ninety nine one-year subscription uh, for under $10. And if you're uh, a subscriber as I am, you can extend your subscription, I guess, for, for $10, for $9.99. Um, the editor of North and South, Keith Poulter, uh, has been on this show uh, a number of years ago, and you can go back and listen to stories of his very interesting career before he became a Civil War publisher and, and what he's been doing in the field. Uh, but apparently he has lost his mind as he is offering these, these crazy $10 subscriptions. Who knows what that's about, but what a deal. Uh, uh, everyone ought to get on board with that. Well, also to get on board with our upcoming shows for Civil War Talk Radio next week, the 11th, and Veterans Day, we'll have Jason Phillips from Mississippi State talking about uh, diehard rebels, the uh, culture of invincibility uh, in the Confederacy, why they wouldn't give up. That should be very interesting. And the following week, Tom Crouch from the Smithsonian will be sharing with us his expertise on lighter-than-air flight in the 19th century, and particularly in the Civil War. Uh, Tom is always very interesting to talk to. After Thanksgiving, no live show that week, uh, Jimmy Price will be joining us to discuss the USCT, United States Colored Troops, uh, in a book he's written on a, an engagement they participated in in 1864. And then uh, Wayne Shea from the Naval Academy will talk about West Point, which is uh, West Pointers are the subject of his 
book, which goes well beyond uh, just West Pointers in the war and looks at the nature of Civil War combat. And, uh, he'll talk about whether it was a total war, another issue he's written about. It, it'll be a very interesting conversation. Uh, as well today, I'm uh, imagining because our guest is somebody with a job that uh, from the outside looks to a lot of us like a dream job, but I'm guessing there's more beneath the surface than, than we imagine. Uh, our guest is uh, James Robert Kirby. His biography says he goes by Bob, so uh, I hope you will not object. Uh, Bob, are you there? Yes, indeed. Ah, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. You are the superintendent of Gettysburg National Military Park uh, since March of, of 2010. Uh, to a lot of listeners on the show, that sounds like uh, the, the most fabulous thing anyone could ever do. Uh, how did you get that position? Well, uh, I, let me first off agree with those listeners that think that that's in fact the case, because it really is. It's exciting, and uh, it's fulfills, uh, it fulfills It's the crest of my career. Prior to this, I was at uh, Petersburg for nine years, Petersburg National Battlefield. And then prior to that, I've had other park experiences that uh, had uh, touched the Civil War in a variety of ways. Uh, Lowell, Massachusetts, even though people think, well, how does the Lowell fit into the, the, the story of the Civil War? But much of the cotton that came from the South uh, in those antebellum years and before uh, made their way to Lowell and then, of course, to Great Britain and other places of export. And then prior to that, uh, Fort Point, which is a pre-Civil War era fort many years ago. Alcatraz had Civil War fortifications. So yeah, there's been touches and pieces of it throughout my career. Is this something you've always had an interest in? Or when did you become, uh, when did the Civil War become focus of your professional world? Well, I, I, you know, I've been asked that question and I've tried to think when it is. I, I know when I was a kid in the 60s and the centennial was all in the magazines and, and uh, I read with fascination uh, a story about Lincoln. Uh, had, had His grave had been unearthed and this man had brought his son out of school to see Lincoln before he was reburied in Springfield. Uh, things captured my imagination. My father uh, had a tendency of taking the family on Sunday drives and stopping at every wayside marker and reading it to the family at the time as a kid. I thought there was nothing more painful or boring. <laughs> somehow those things sunk in. And then over the years, the little bits and pieces began fitting together. And uh, so I don't know. It's just I've always had done well in school in history, um, better than math and science in many ways. So it's just been a natural progression, I guess, for me. Huh. So, so you, you eventually found your way to Petersburg and then to Gettysburg. Let me jump in. I've, I've been thinking of questions all week, uh, looking forward to this chance to, to chat, and, and uh, just jumping in right in the middle with current events. Last week there was a uh, big storm on the East Coast. I was up in Massachusetts last weekend and experienced high winds and uh, this is not too long after uh, Hurricane or Tropical Storm Irene came through, but I understand the, uh, uh, that you lost a number of trees and, and even had some monument damage in the storm, uh, the recent storm. Is that yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what do you do? How bad was it, and what do you do about it? Well, we had uh, we had hundreds of trees come down, and we had some close calls with trees coming down. We had a tree came down on top of a law enforcement vehicle, but. Uh, 
all in all, nobody was injured. Uh, we did have the 121st New York Monument, uh, the one that's on the north side of the little round, little round top, was hit by, grazed by a huge limb, and uh, the, the monument, the statue of a soldier, was knocked askew about 30 degrees. Um, we've since taken that monument down, and we're going to have to recast the base. You can't just rebend the stuff back into place because it's bronze. Uh, bronze and copper and some pop metal, so it needs to be recast and reset. And then we had a huge log fall on the Crenshaw Battery along West Confederate Avenue, smashing the carriage just to, to smithereens, but of course the tube was unscathed. And the, the, the carriage was an 1895 re replica carriage anyway, um, mm -hmm. and we, we go through a few of those in any given year. So honestly, even though we had eight some people say up with upwards of 13 inches of snow here on the 29th. Uh, we came out of it pretty well uh, unscathed, other than the damage I just mentioned. Well, I mean, that, that's fascinating because it speaks to the size and scale. Uh, two trees fell at, at uh, my house uh, during Hurricane Irene this year, and that was a big deal to us. Uh, fortunately, it did not hit our house. Unfortunately, it did hit the neighbor's house, but that's another story. Uh, but you know, two trees, you know, consumed our working week dealing with that, and then the same with neighbors who lost a tree or two. Uh, and you just said, well, we lost, you know, 100 trees, but no big deal. Uh, because you might, how many trees do you have on the battlefield? Has anyone ever counted that? <laughs> no, uh, to my knowledge, no one has, but we have 6,000 acres. Okay. Uh, we've cleared off about 324 acres of trees for our cultural landscape restoration, uh, out of a goal that we set for ourselves many years ago of 576 uh, acres of tree clearing. Um, so honestly, I don't know how many trees we have, but we have a whole bunch. Well, let's talk about that project. That is something that's been going on, I, I, I'm guessing, like five years now? Has it been that long or longer than that? Um, I believe it has. It's been going on probably longer than that. I think probably the, the GMP was completed in... Um, in 1999, and I think within a couple of years after that, they got the money. So it could be seven or eight years. And the project is going pretty well, actually. Um, I'm, uh, uh, we've got lots of trees cleared and, and uh, slowing down the process a little um, mm -hmm. uh, because I think our, we've got to keep the vegetation out that we've cut. Jerry, let me, let me switch to my phone. It sounds like I might have a battery problem on my headset, if you don't mind. Let me sure, see if go, it works. Hold go on. Do that. I'll chat while you're while you're doing that. What what we're oh, talking yeah. about now? I'm I'm there. I uh, I Excellent. use this earpiece because I think I hear better and I can uh -huh. communicate a little better. But uh, with we had a power outage here. We had a transformer oh. go out down the street, and the the Cyclorama movie and uh, museum have been closed all day. And and we wow. just got our power restored. Uh, the phone's been on battery backup, and apparently they haven't been working too well. So I'm with you now. Excellent. Well, it, I was telling the listeners about my, my Skype issues at this end, so it, <laughs> we're, we're muddling through. We'll, we'll resort to semaphore next. Yeah, um, exactly. The, the, the process of, of cutting down trees to improve the battlefield, uh, anyone who's been there in the last few years knows what a dramatic improvement it has been to be able to, to stand in a little round top and look toward the Rose Farm and actually see why the Confederate forces went that way you know, 15 years ago, it was just a forest, and you you had to visualize uh, yeah. that that it was 
open terrain because so much had been overgrown since 1863. But when when that was first proposed, there was some controversy. Said, Why is the Park Service clear-cutting its own land? Sure. Uh, well, uh, and people that, don't that understand. I mean, there's, there's a faction that represents every interest uh, in public park management. And, and much of the people who objected to that saw that we were – uh, reducing bird habitat and tree cover, and everybody loves trees. Uh, don't get me wrong, I love trees. But in terms of managing uh, a national battlefield, uh, what we're trying to do as best we can is approximate what this this topography and this landscape looked like in 1863. That's our mission. Um, and and we there's been enough study and enough science done that that we haven't done any uh, harm whatsoever to the environment on a grand scale. As a matter of fact, by reducing tree cover, we've opened up uh, a grassland environment, and that has restored uh, bird habitats and lots of other uh, fauna and flora that uh, had been extirpated from the area for many years, and so. Um, it, it's really not even in an, in an environmental sense uh, a, a disaster. It's all been very good. Well, it, it really is. is I mean, historically, it's just marvelous how you can now see things. Uh, I understand. Is the idea to try to return the entire battlefield as far as practical to its 1863 uh, horticultural state? Well, uh, you, you know, it's, in some instances, you just can't do that. In instances where... Um, there were no trees in the past, uh, and now there are uh, housing developments. We we're, we're choosing to leave trees as a screen, even though they weren't there in 1863, to block out such things as housing developments or or power lines. I think we we can accept the the fact that we're not completely, perfectly, 100% accurate by providing some sense of pastoral. Uh, environment that existed here more to the liking of 1863 than the modern world. So yeah, we're we're not. It's not an exact science. It's not an exact uh, recreation. It it, it provides us. Uh, we we've identified zones, uh, interpretive zones, where we find that there are certain places where important stories are are. Uh, it's important to tell those stories, and by having the landscape as uh, accurately recharacterized as it was in 1863 makes the visitor uh, understand it helps the visitor understand what how troops moved where where defensive positions were what the issue of cocoa was all about uh, and so on and so forth uh, we're not we're not 100 percent there and we're not doing it perfect and part of the problem is that as soon as we've cleared off vegetation, uh, you know, that stuff keeps growing. And uh, we're fighting a struggle now to make sure that we keep those areas uh, as best we can free of, uh, free of uh, vegetation. When I was reading about the, the, the storm damage this week, there was a reference to trees that were there at the time of the battle, the so-called witness trees. Right. I, I hadn't really thought of that, but I guess it makes sense that that would be the case. Um, is that something that, that you have particular note of? Yeah, we, it's, it's really, we can't on every instance identify, if a tree were to fall back in the woods and it happened to be a witness tree, we might not know that. We don't have a, a, an inventory of all, all trees. It's so interesting, and back in the summer, summertime, uh, we had a, a tree that was taken off uh, the edge of a, a, a monument, and it had been laying on the ground for years, and in the process of removing 
uh, it from the out, outer edge, we, it was cut into, and a bullet fragment was found. Well, wow. the tree was pretty skinny, but it was on the north side of Culp's Hill, and it never got a lot of sunlight, and the growth rings were very narrow. So I think by, by looking at it, you might not have thought that that was a witness tree. So the trees, uh, I'm sure there are many witness trees around, um, and yet I'm, uh, they, they elude uh, obviousness. You know, they are, they're hard to pinpoint. Uh, that they were in fact a witness tree in any given place. We do discover them uh, from time to time as a result of of them falling or being in a place where we know clearly witness trees were, or we have documentation that identifies them as such, or photographs that that uh, are un, unimpeachable evidence that the witness tree was where we think it is still. And we we have a good handle on many of them, but I'm sure we don't have it on on all of them. Hey, well, we'll pursue this in just a minute. This is a fascinating subject, the idea of, of living things that were at Gettysburg that are still there. But we're going to take a short break now, talking okay. today with Bob Kirby. He is the superintendent of Gettysburg National Military Park. And we will be back in just a few moments with more of Civil War Talk Radio. have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop take world talk radio on the go and listen anywhere get our mobile app for iphone blackberry or android at the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market if only i'd known i would have done things differently caring for an elderly loved one is not an easy responsibility it can be compared to raising children except children continue to learn new skills and develop as they get older to help you find the answers that you need, tune into Your Elder Care Coach with host Mike Gamble. If you are currently caring for an elderly loved one or you see the warning signs ahead, we'll help you provide the best care and still maintain your life. Listen every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on World Talk Radio Variety. In the hustle and bustle world we live in, we need to be reminded that in all failures and successes, we are the common denominators. The change needs to come from within. Each week, let Daniel Gutierrez and Osmara Vindel help bring you the tools you need to manage your success. We'll talk with the movers and shakers of business and personal development and see what makes them tick. The only bilingual radio show, right here, right now. Aki Ora airs live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Bob Kirby, the superintendent of the Gettysburg National Military Park. We've been talking about the uh, some of the nuts and bolts of managing a park of, of that size, uh, particularly discussing uh, trees in our first segment uh, wasn't planned that way, but uh, it's a fascinating subject. When, when you have a storm and trees fall down, someone's got to clean them up, and some of those trees were there since uh, since the battle and and uh, have a particular character. Uh, Bob, I remember one time visiting there, stopping to pick up a few acorns from uh, the, the clump of trees, the famous clump of trees on Cemetery uh, Ridge that was the target of Pickett's charge. Uh, they are they're 
fenced off the, the the trees, and I think there's even a sign that says these trees are the descendants of the the original clump of trees. Right. Uh, but to pick up an acorn from there and take it back from show to my students, this uh, this is the seed of the tree that was at Gettysburg, or the you know the grandchild seed, I guess. Uh, uh, they find it fascinating. Uh, there's this, this this connection with what actually happened there, uh, and, and I mean that must be part of what brings people to the battlefield. Uh, is that not it? Oh, it certainly is. And you know that's that 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 really kind of enters into the whole purpose of parks. I mean, you know, you could learn about the Civil War or any historical event in America by sitting behind your TV or reading a book, but there's nothing like being in touch with the real deal. Uh, that's what this is all about. That's why these are the touchstones of America. This is, this is why this is so important to do, uh, to re- revere it, to, to preserve it as best we can, uh, to make it available to the public as broadly and as, uh, as deeply as possible. So yeah, that's the essence of, of uh, that's really truly the essence of what this business I'm in is all about. Well, I, I've, I've been to Gettysburg dozens of times and, uh... I'm not going to get up there for the Lincoln Forum this year around Remembrance Day, the 19th of November, for the first time in a number of years. I'm going to miss it, but uh, uh, it is. I, I, I never leave there without being recharged in my interest in, in history and in the Civil War in particular, uh, for for that very reason, for being in, in touch with the land itself, where it actually happened. The this the the appeal it has arouses strong. Passions and, and of those three million people who come visiting every year, you get people who visit for different reasons. Oh yeah, um, and and well, what sometimes those reasons come in conflict. It seems to me. Uh, I mean, there are tourists, there are people coming to have fun, there are historians, there are reenactors, there are buffs, there are uh, uh, the people living there who want to sell things to all of the above. Uh, you must be at the center of a lot of controversy of, of, of how to best manage uh, for to, for every constituency that you have. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's a big part of the job. We we manage uh, user conflicts, as we call them. Uh, they are they are conflicts between the, the the folks that are passionate about it, and there are conflicts between people who view this as recreation land, open space, public space. They want to ride their horse here, or they want to jog. Or uh, some of them want to bring their motorcycles and drive through town uh, and drive through the battlefield. Um, we've we've had, uh, I mean, endless amounts of uh, of various conflicts. But we've got a great law enforcement staff that quietly and discreetly, for the most part, uh, dissuades certain. Uh, inappropriate activities and uh, in a nice fashion for the most part and uh, we we the public generally we're we're very fortunate here because everybody knows what Gettysburg is about and and so our our the degree of compliance and uh, and uh, and respect for this land and uh, preserving its commemorative features and values is very high we have a a low incidence of vandalism we have a low incidence of crime and and much of our user conflicts are 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 really rather small in nature uh, relatively speaking you you get big user conflicts in recreation areas where you've got people who want snowmobiling or and people who don't and things like that or jet skis Mm -hmm. and don't luckily we don't have those kinds of conflicts well, that that is, is good. You mentioned law enforcement staff. How how many people are on your staff altogether? 
we have a total of 74 FTE, that's full-time equivalencies, and that number fluctuates. In the summertime with our seasonal workforce, we have about 140 staff. Uh, and in the regular off-season, we drop down into the low 70s, high 60s um, at any given point in time. But that's just part of our staff uh, complement. We've got 155 licensed battlefield guides that, that are independent contractors, but we manage the licensing and, and the monitoring process. And then we're partners with the, the Gettysburg Foundation that has about 99 staff on board that manage much of the operational uh, and development activities that are going on here. So there's a lot of moving parts. I see. Well, when you mentioned the foundation and also the thing about user conflicts, uh, I was reading about one. Actually, a long-time listener uh, alerted me to the, the situation in the past year with fences along the railroad cut. Mm-hmm. And one nice thing about a show like this is I just say the railroad cut, and all the listeners nod their heads and go, yes, of course, the first day, the railroad cut. Um, we don't have to explain it any further. Uh, some listeners, perhaps, but but I can recommend a book or so for them, uh, but but it it was it seems to be a conflict from people who love the battlefield uh, so much that, that they conflict with others who love the battlefield just as much. And and uh, what was that story? How did that and how did that work out? Oh, that that's an interesting story. Um, that that process came about in the springtime. We had a huge amount of heavy rain. And uh, so we had already laid out our fence plan concept as where we were going to put uh, every year in our uh, June uh, volunteer days with in cooperation with the Gettysburg Foundation and the park staff. We put up somewhere between a mile and a mile and a half of, of uh, Virginia worm fence in the park. Um, the, this spring presented us some extremely difficult situations where certain fields that we wanted to put the fencing in were so wet we couldn't, we couldn't uh, stage much of the material and get it in the proper place. So we did a last-minute uh, change of plans and posted them along an area that our senior historians had thought that that, that were, in fact, their fences there. Uh, there was some photographic evidence provided uh, in, a, in our management discussions about it, it seemed as though it was a bit, a bit of a stretch. But we could, we were led to believe that there was a fence that you could see through the, the overhang on a barn in the distance, and so we went forward with it. Uh, obviously, we are very carefully watched, and, and some of our scholars out there didn't necessarily agree with it. We looked at it again and realized that, you know, we couldn't without, uh, without, with 100% certainty or beyond a reasonable doubt, if you will, say that there was in fact a fence there. So we've, uh, we've taken that fence down and we're, we're going to go back to more uh, bomb-proof uh, places where we know fencing existed. But that was, that was a combination of efforts by trying to make a last-minute change to a plan that uh, may not have suited everybody. And I don't think we could have, without any, uh, with, without some degree of uncertainty, stood by that decision. So instead of uh, continuing to argue the point with scant uh, solid information, we decided to make a change. There's plenty of other places where we know fences existed, and that was an easy fix. Well, that that struck me as the system really working well. That whole story that, that that on the one hand you've got volunteers eager to build fences that were there to to recreate fences that were there at the time of the battle, so it looks more as it did in July of '63, and then you've got uh, other people who are passionate about the battlefield saying, "Wait a minute, we're not sure there was a fence there. 
uh, and in your response to err on the side of caution, say, well, there's no 100% evidence, we'll take it down. Right. Uh, at the end of the day, no harm, no foul. But what what I found interesting was the the passion with which this argument was conducted. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, I can find it amusing. It must be a little harder for you at the the center of it. Uh, but it reminded me of the the Monty Python movie Life of Brian, uh, which uh, uh, in which the the People's Front of Judea is rebelling against the Romans, but their real enemy is the Judean People's Front. Uh, it's the two splinter groups that hate each other more than their obvious main enemy. And and you hate to see that happen in any uh, interest group. Uh, Friends of Gettysburg ought to be able to shake hands over the fence, as it were, uh, and worry about the real enemies, uh, such as uh, casinos, which, right. which I thought, uh, what's the status these days of, of people trying to build something inappropriate on or near the battlefield well you know this this is the nature of our business this is uh, we we uh, we pride ourselves on being as transparent as possible and listening to the public as best we can so when when a controversy or something comes up we i don't think we lose any sleep over it we we sit down and it's a it's a fun intellectual exercise to to hear the challenges some sometimes some of the challenges are not so civil and and uh, you can look at that uh any way you want to. I don't really ever take it seriously. I think some mm-hmm. people let their passions get carried away with them. And, uh, but we, we take a good hard look at everything. In terms of what might be on the horizon here now, um, honestly, because the economy has slowed, uh, that the, the, the incursions of, of what have, have, was rampant there for a while with the development and sprawl is, um, is really kind of subsided, at least for the short term. Uh, the park has 900 acres that are within its boundary, but yet unacquired, and we're trying to take advantage of of this lull uh, to uh, go ahead and move forward to try with our the help of our friends, the Civil War Trust and the Conservation Fund and others, the Gettysburg Foundation, to acquire those properties. And in some instances, the, those folks have come forward uh, and offered uh, uh, as willing sellers to offer their property that they know are within the boundaries. So we've, we've begun doing a good job of moving forward in these tough times to further protect the boundary. But, you know, there's always going to be a threat on the periphery. If it's not a cell tower or a casino or a, or a, 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 a Lowe's or a Walmart or any of the other businesses that uh, go on in the community, there's always going to be a, this, this little tension, this dynamic of, of how do you preserve a historical landscape and scene and, and live a modern life and keep a vital economy going. Those are, those are tough balancing acts to do. And sometimes the the, the passions do rise. Um, but, you know, the best you can do is uh, go about your business and, and rely on good scholarship and uh, do the best you can by trying to communicate what you're trying to do to others in the community and then listen to what others need in the community so that you can try and come to a balance or a compromise in terms of how you continue to pr- uh, preserve and protect these sacred lands and yet let the uh, viable economy continue on. When you talk about land within the boundaries of the battlefield, would that include General Pickett's buffet on (laughs) Emmitsburg Road? Well, no, the boundary line, for some strange reason or not, does not go to that part there. Um, oh. The boundary that that Pickett's buffet is outside the boundary. Okay. Um, and you know if you move, if somehow that was added to the boundary, then you'd have to 
what would the, then what would be the McDonald's? And if you took out the McDonald's, then how about the train museum? And on and on. The, the, Problem is, it's got to stop somewhere, and mm-hmm. uh, that seems to be as good a place right now as any. So, well, it, it, it's if you look at photos of the battlefield going back, you know, forty, fifty years, and, and I mean, there was a Stuckey's down by uh, further down south sure. on, on Emmitsburg Road, uh, and there were the elevated power lines along Emmitsburg Road. I mean, it really looked a lot more like 1950 looks a lot more like 1863 today than it did 50 years ago oh it sure uh, did uh, there was overhead power lines there was the home sweet home a motel there were mm-hmm. gas stations there were houses further down on emmitsburg road uh, that have just recently been removed since i've been here um just tremendous great work done by the park and the gettysburg foundation in terms of trying to recapture and reclaim the landscape here what what is the highest profile thing inside those 900 acres if 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 that won't get you in trouble for naming something well, you know, it's often not good to talk about those kinds of things because then that somehow jacks the price up on uh, things that I hear otherwise you. would not be there. But <laughs> let me talk in in past tense here and tell sure. you that the park spent over 20 years trying to acquire the country club property, the 95 acres that we just acquired on uh, on March 25th of this year, um, that uh, is the Har- Emanuel Harmon farm out on the first day's battlefield. Uh, a, a tremendous coup after years of struggle. Uh, now that was that was one of the highest profile activities in recent memory. And there are others out there that we're, we're hoping to uh, uh, acquire, but a lot of it is also buffer property that will protect certain uh, core areas, epicenters, if you will, of, of certain action areas on the battlefield. Well, I remember the, the demolition of the National Tower. Was, was, we talk about high profile, uh, watching that come down. Uh, that was, was, must have been 15, 20 years ago now. I think that was 97 or 98. I can't remember. 10 years ago. Yeah, at least. Yeah, yeah. 15. It, 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 that that was, uh, had been there since the early 70s. It was a, sort of an eyesore. No matter where you were on the battlefield, you saw this looming yeah. tower. And then removing that was uh, a big step in, in helping people suspend their disbelief when you're somewhere on the field and want to imagine this is how it looked. If all you see is a tower in the distance, it's hard to capture that feeling. That's correct. Yeah, and that's that's what this the continuation of what this cultural landscape plan is all about. Uh, to to take out those obstructions and those intrusions that make it hard to imagine what it was like here. Is the National Cemetery part of the the military park, or is that a separate entity? No, that's uh, in 1934. Um, this park um, it was established in 1895, but really was not a unit of the National Park Service until 1934. It was managed by the War Department, and uh, and there were 14 parks that were transferred to uh, the National Park Service from the War Department uh, uh, at that time, and most of them have cemeteries uh, attached to them. And so, yes, the Soldiers National Cemetery is a component piece of Gettysburg National Battlefield, National Uh Military Park. And earlier you mentioned the licensed battlefield guides who, uh, uh, as you say, they they serve as independent contractors. Uh, They give people tours. I guess people just arrange tours with them independently of, of your operation. Um, what, what, do you train them? Do you give them an exam? How do you, how do you become a licensed battlefield guide? Well, uh, let, me, let me 
start back and parse that question and piece sure. by piece at a time. Yeah, there are about 155 of them. Um, they are, they are, there's legislation that protects them and establishes them dating back to the 19, 1915. It was established mm-hmm. primarily because there were interlopers who were taking advantage of the tourists even then. I mean, this became a tourist attraction in, uh, by July fourth or fifth of uh, 1863 and over the years it got uh, it was unregulated and got worse so legislation established the licensed battlefield guides and uh, and then later on as the it was transferred to the National Park Service the Park Service took over the responsibility of issuing the licenses and and in so doing uh, each of the guides are tested a very stringent testing process really amazing tests Um, and then they are not only given a written test then they're given an oral test uh, and then the licenses are issued. And uh, it's quite a process. Our, our friends at the Gettysburg Foundation manage the reservation system, and, uh, and, and they queue them up for placing them in either in cars or on buses, uh, and, and uh, they do a huge business. And then also the licensed battlefield guides are as independent agents or contractors, have uh, other places where they actually engage the public and, and can give tours. But as, as, since much of their tour operation is here on the battlefield, um, we, we are uh, allowed and by law required to regulate what goes on here on the national battlefield. Now, these are different from park rangers, uh, but rangers also give tours, is that right? The rangers do give tours. Now, we have a small cadre of rangers. We have seven permanent interpretive rangers and two intermittent, or what, what we call subject to furlough rangers, and then we bring on a slew of seasonals in the summertime and then have some living historians as well. Um, in the summertime, our, our cadre swells to oh, somewhere in the mid to high 20s total. But yes, uh, in any given year, our, our ranger uh, forces give thousands and thousands of tours. So, um, I, you know, I, I just happened to have made a little presentation yesterday and talked about this, but our ranger program um, last year, this, this in 2011, gave 2015 ranger-led programs. Uh, we were, at the high point, we were giving 19 programs a day, and we gave 56,650 visitors uh, a first person in, or first-hand interpretation, and, and they, the rangers could pick from a 25 different program topics. And that's just one half of the equation. The other half, and a big half, is we do a huge amount of education programs a year and have that in, in a variety of different um, formats, uh, ways to, uh, uh, to learn about the battlefield from, uh, from mostly elementary and secondary school kids. And, uh, and then we're working on a new initiative to try and uh, make sure that kids in, in underprivileged areas that can't afford to take a bus trip here or get here are uh, af- afforded the opportunity to make a trip here and learn about uh, what's happened on the battlefield. Well, that's a, an important initiative, certainly. We're going to take another short break and come right back, talk more with Bob Kirby, Superintendent of Gettysburg National Military Park. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. World Talk Radio Variety Channel. 
where the world comes to listen and talk. Tune in to Green with Envy every week for the most up-to-date information about living a green, fulfilling life. With a mix of serious inquiry and engaging humor, host Peter Terweem and his guest experts uncover topical issues and refreshing stories that will keep you informed and inspired. We'll want to hear from you during the live program as well. Green with Envy is broadcast live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on World Talk Radio Variety. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health & Wellness is delighted to finally have the opportunity to fulfill the requests of our many guests and listeners to extend the Mind, Brain, and Body experience to a second hour. Tune in for The Lyceum, Critiques of Ancient and Modern Understanding with Dr. Michael Kell. The purpose of this show is to explore and expand upon mankind's continual efforts to explain why we exist. Join us each week as we continue our fireside chats with some of the most remarkable thinkers living today. The Lyceum airs Fridays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on World Talk Radio Variety. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. I'm talking with Bob Kirby. He's the superintendent at the Gettysburg National Military Park in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, everyone listening to the show knows what happened there. And it is uh, the, the most, uh, certainly the most visited of the Civil War battlefield parks, the most well-known uh, and in many ways uh, the best interpreted, fully uh, fully marked, and, and uh, there are licensed battlefield guides to show you around if you need that. There are plenty of wonderful guides published uh, about the battle. Uh, the Army War College series has a great uh, volume. There are other books, new books. Uh, Savas Beatty has come out with a couple new books from that publisher, Gettysburg Companion, things you can use as you go around. Um, Bob, I have to say that... Do, Personally, I have a, a soft spot very much for the, the battlefield parks. It was a visit to Antietam while on a family road trip when I was 10 years old that really triggered my interest in the Civil War. But it was a visit to Gettysburg a year or two later uh, when the group I was with got a tour from from one of the rangers. And that ranger uh, spoke to our group. who had a lot of just sort of general tourists in it uh, and held their interest. But when he learned that I had a, a particular interest, I think I may have asked him something about uh, about night fighting at Culp's Hill or some something that showed that I knew a little more than the average sixth grader. Uh, he he responded as if my interest was perfectly normal and valid and interesting and didn't patronize, didn't treat it like uh, a novelty item. Uh, it was... It made me realize, hey, there's other people who feel the same way. Who he treated me like I was normal uh, yeah. uh, to be a Civil War buff, and it it really it, that experience has stayed with me. I, I, whenever I've trained docents at museums or talked to my students about public history, uh, I will tell them how that ex- in, interaction with the Gettysburg Ranger put me on the career path that, that I, I follow to this day. So uh, I can't say enough for how important it is that that. Uh, it, the people, even more than the battlefield, can can make make or break the experience. And and my experience with the Gettysburg staff has always been wonderful. 
Great. That's super. That's great to hear. We, we get that a lot. I mean, uh, the Rangers who and the licensed battlefield guides, all of them, uh, they, they talk this stuff every day. And uh, there's, I think there's nothing they like less than to have an audience that isn't interested in them uh, or what they're having to say. That what they love is somebody in the audience, there's a spark of interest or, or somebody wants to go a little deeper. These these folks deal with this on a day-in, day-out basis. They're great scholars. They, they know the topic. Um, we're blessed with a very seasoned uh, group of interpreters here, and uh, uh, there's nothing that they like more than to get into some sort of uh, analysis or discussion about some nuance of the, of the battle uh, that, um, that, that, and then it brings along the rest of the audience as well. So mm-hmm. it's a win-win, really. Now, with that said, I was hearing a presentation, and I'm not able to recall exactly, it might have been Gary Crick, some other well-known battlefield person, uh, pointing out that within the town of Gettysburg, that among the locals, they, they refer every May to the, the tourists, and by June, these are the damn tourists, and by <laughs> August, they are the goddamn tourists. Um, do, do you ever experience battle fatigue in that sense? You know, I haven't, but I don't, you know, the thing that I miss the most is that I used to be an interpreter and used to be out amongst the people, and it's very stimulating. I, I've, over the years, been relegated to a desk, and um, and and I just, I never got tired of it. I crave it. I don't, I don't hear of any, any of my staff who, and I don't think the licensed battlefield guides do. Now, I do, I do know that some some of the service providers and some possibly merchants get a little tired by having a hotel room trashed again for the 13th time and picking up the beer cans or, or, or you know, people losing their cool because the price of gas is higher here than it is down the road or whatever. But, you know, honestly, the town is, for the most part, I don't, I've never really heard anybody say anything about the goddamn tourists. This is their bread and butter. I think they all know that this is, uh, this is important to be uh, a good host. Uh, everywhere I go in the community, uh, not only is the park respected, but the fact that the park helps make the economy sing. And uh, so there's, if those examples exist, they are probably one in a million. Mm. Now, in terms of people getting heated about things, uh, I, we have Dwight McKaithley scheduled to be on the show in a couple months. And, oh, great. Uh, I love Dwight. He's a wonderful uh, guy. Wonderful guy, the, the former chief historian of the, the National Park Service. And he was there when the Park Service had the changeover in interpretation, which which I'll talk about with him in, in some detail, I'm sure. But as I, I'm guessing many of our listeners know, if you'd, went to, if you'd gone to a battlefield 20, 30 years ago, most of the markers and signage and interpretation was about which brigade moved to which flank at which hour and which general led which charge. And now your new visitor center, still new, relatively new visitor center, uh, and, and the interpretation generally is much broader and focuses not just on the battle as a military event, but on its role in the Civil War and the Civil War's role in history generally. The problem is some people like the escapism of the past, and when you start talking about what caused the war and, and bring up uh, slavery, they don't like that much. Uh, do you still encounter that kind of uh, response? 
Oh, once in a while we get a letter, uh, but you know, if we we don't, we have not abandoned the uh, talking about the tactics and and troop movements and which uh, which force did what and where. Uh, that's that's certainly here, but you know, we have to be we have to be cognizant of the American people. We we cannot keep singing just to the choir. We need to talk. Uh, about the social implications uh, and the aspects of what happened here and and why this is so important to America and American history. Uh, And in so doing, we broaden our audience, and by virtue of that, we broaden uh, our constituency, and we have more people then who are concerned about preserving these places and more people who see the value in them. If we're not careful, we we could sing to the choir and work ourselves out on a limb and then really be kind of treated as uh, something of low value. And I don't think any of us want that from the most passionate advocate to, uh, to, to certainly any Park Service person who's involved in this. Um, and, and I think we're trying to build uh, and, and relate to a new and broader audience. It's good for all of us, really. Well, the new visitor center certainly is, is you know, certainly differs from the old one, which was, was rooted in the museum technology of the 1950s. Uh, and, and the new one has a, a lot of bells and whistles the old one didn't, and, and a broader interpreter scope, uh, and a very nice uh, museum store as well, uh, which had my book for sale last time I was there, my Lincoln book, so I was very happy with everything about the battlefield that day. Uh, but uh, let me ask a, a touristy question. What's the best time of year to, to see the battlefield? Well, you know, that's, that's a very subjective kind of thing. Some people want to be here on July 1, 2, and 3. Uh, some people who, who like the cooler weather and want to see the leaves love October. Um, some people love to see the, all the, the dogwoods blooming and, uh, and the green uh, start peeking out, and uh, so early spring is nice. Uh, honestly, uh, even the wintertime, the, the landscape is just gorgeous after a fresh snowfall. So I, I, I can't answer that. Uh, we do have most of our vis- visitation, though, occurring, as most national park sites and most uh, tourist attractions, generally in the summer months when families can get in the car and come to a park and experience places like this together. So our, the peak of our visitation really is from June through early September, and then it drops off, and then it picks up big, big time then again in October. And then just uh, not that you need a plug put in, but uh, November 19th, the anniversary of Lincoln's address, uh, always uh, seems to draw. Well, you have a very nice parade of, of reenactors every year, right, right. Uh, and that that's a, an interesting spectacle. And, and uh, the Gettysburg Address is read, and there's a talk in the in the uh, cemetery where where Lincoln spoke. And it, it's an interesting time to be there. The, the weather is the way it is out my window today, gray and gloomy, often raining, but uh, it. It both connects with the historical event that happened there, the, the, the delivery of the Gettysburg Address, and at the same time gets you to the battlefield at a time when, when the hotel rooms are available, or at least right. not quite so uh, packed right. in the summer. 
Yeah, and that's, that also appeals to a whole new audience or a whole new constituency. Uh, there's uh, Lincoln followers, and then there's Grant and Lee, or, uh, Lee and Meade followers. And, uh, and, and you know, the, the, the dedication day on November 19 is, is a special time, especially because the community really gets it's their chance to get involved. The parade you mentioned is great. Uh, the ch- town turns out to march down Baltimore Pike to the uh, cemetery. And the city fathers get involved, and uh, it's it's really a, a, a partnership with the college, one of their signal events, uh, uh, and given in any in every given year. So it's a it's a, a real shared stewardship responsibility day, and a, and a celebration, and it's a great it's a great time to visit the park as well. Well, I, I will say, when you talk about stewardship, the uh, anyone who studies the past knows that that we are. You know, part of a link from from past to present to future, and anyone who's involved in 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 teaching history or curating history or managing a historic site knows that that we are stewards, uh, not owners, uh, yeah. of our links to the past. And it's it's been a, a pleasure talking with you this hour and, and getting a very reassuring sense that uh, Gettysburg is in very good hands. And uh, hope you have uh, many years of continuing to uh, do more of the same. Well, thank you, Jerry. It's been a real pleasure being with you. Uh, listeners, normally I'll say go out and get this author's book. Uh, when I say today go out and uh, visit Gettysburg, uh, most of you have been there. If you haven't, uh, it's because you're listening from overseas and it's hard to get here. Uh, but go there again. You won't be sorry. It is a, a wonderful place in the center of Civil War uh, uh, memory in our country. Uh, it, it's been a, a pleasure to have our guest, Bob Kirby, the superintendent. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the world talk radio network for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit worldtalkradio.com the world talk radio network where the world comes to talk the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the world talk radio network its staff and management 